Welcome, welcome to the Heads Together podcast. Thanks for joining me again this week. So I'm joined today by the fabulous Melina Cordero. She is just a pleasure to have on the podcast. Conversation with Melina is always really rich and deep, and she is my absolute go-to for all of the questions I have around diversity, equity, inclusion, and all of the other challenges that really we all need to be facing and doing better at in a post-2020 workplace. Melina is the author of the incredible weekly newsletter called Uncomfortable Questions, and we talk about that in the episode. So, uh, Without further ado, let's dive in because the best person to tell you about Melina is Melina. She is very engaging and she makes what can sometimes be a really difficult subject very engaging and very easy to talk through. So yeah, let's not wait. Let's dive in. Welcome, welcome to the Heads Together podcast. I'm Jill Mokes, and I am obsessed with cutting through the noise when it comes to growing your business. Each week, via intimate coaching conversations and inspirational stories, I share what it really takes to get the results you want in a way that feels right to you. I am all about attracting higher ticket opportunities, building authentic relationships, and creating the abundant, full-fat version of your dream business. I mean, how many of us have beavered away creating a light version of what we really want? The thing is, I honestly believe when you're outstanding at what you do, there is no limit to what you can achieve. So, are you ready to put our heads together and make it happen? Let's go. Melina, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Do you know what? There is something I really love about when I know someone reasonably well and they come on the podcast because I think we get a really rich conversation because we kind of know each other a little bit and it's it's a good, comfortable combo. Go straight in there. Yeah, exactly. I've been really looking forward to you coming on because this is a topic that is really applicable across the board. And, you know, sometimes I'm conscious that some of the topics I pick are going to be for a bit of a a slice of my audience and maybe not as applicable for others. This topic that we're going into today, the post-2020 workplace, is just, it's applicable for all of us. There's so much for us to learn around this. So thank you for coming on to share about it with me. Can we kick off by you just introducing yourself and and kind of telling the listeners a bit about your journey to where you are now? Sure. I always say about my journey, it it was very winding path, but I'm very proud of that. I had fun along the way and it was it was hard at times, but also I always encourage people not not to shy away from from taking steps that feel off the path, but actually it's all part of the path. So my career was pretty unexpected for me um, when I when I graduated university and I had these grand plans of going into one field and ended up in another. And I landed in uh, commercial real estate. So I was working 
primarily in retail with all sorts of clients. You know, there was major, smaller uh, retailers all over the world, uh, but also with owners and landlords and big banks and pension funds that were owners of real estate. And so a world that I never really planned to go into, but I was there and I did really well. Um, and I landed in a big sort of Fortune 200 company and was climbing the ladder. I joke I was climbing by accident, like I was falling up. I did really well. But as I was going through and, you know, I was in it for about 10 years, the, the higher I went, the deeper I went into that space, that industry, that environment, it didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel like I was where I wanted to be, even though, you know, financially, career-wise, you look at my LinkedIn profile, it was it was sort of a great career. It was a great path on the outside. But for me, it didn't really fit. So I found myself sort of open to looking at what was it that I wanted, which is hard to do when you have, you know, a full-time job or two full-time jobs as a lot of us feel we have. And then the pandemic hit. And then it was 2020. And then 2020 happened. And for all of us, I think 2020 was a moment where you know, a lot of things happened. A lot of things happened on the outside, but a lot of things happened on the inside, right? All, so many of us ended up for various reasons looking inward and saying, is this what I want? Is this where I want to be? What more do I want? What am I missing? And for me, because I was leading this life where I was always on the road, I was going to conferences, I was speaking at places, I was having meetings all over, I really didn't have a chance to to sit and think. <laughs> The pandemic gave me that chance, you know, that's a big lesson there, right? You need space to sort of come up with things. So what happened for me was I had that space to sit and really get more in touch with was it that I wanted or what I didn't want, but also it was what was going on around us. So here in the US and really all over the world, in addition to the pandemic, there were these large social justice movements. Here there's Black Lives Matter, which ended up being very global and Sitting in Washington, D.C., where I was living at the time, uh, it was very present for me and very present for me as a Hispanic woman in a, in a very white and male-dominated industry, right? And I started looking around at how companies were responding to this, uh, not just how my company was responding, but how everyone was responding and how leaders were responding to this and how lost leaders felt around this. And what do we do? And we're not prepared for these kinds of conversations in the workplace. And I don't know what to do. And that's when it all sort of came together for me. And I said, that I can change. And I think we can do a better job than what we're doing. And I think it just takes a little more focus, a little bit more innovation and more hearts and minds that are dedicated to thinking about this and equipping people to do things differently. And it all came together really quickly for me. It clicked. It felt right. I was passionate about it. I was super fascinated by it. And long story short, I handed in my resignation to a lot of shock and awe in April of 2021. And I just said, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this or what it's going to look like, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's what I did. (laughs) I mean... That is some entrepreneurial bravery right there. And let's face it, I think anyone who answers that call to do something that is more aligned with their values, with what they care about, what they're passionate about, there's no getting around that need for bravery, that need to do a courageous thing. 
it must have been a shock to the people you were working with because here's this woman who is doing so incredibly well within the company. Was there an element of kind of not really understanding your motivation at the point where you had handed in your notice from inside the company? Oh, yeah. A lot of people didn't understand. You know, I'm very lucky that I have the support of my family and I have a great friend group that was very supportive and they knew me well enough to know that I, you know, I wasn't doing something wild. <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't a reactive thing um, to feeling stressed or angry about anything. It was, it was a genuine desire and optimism about figuring this out. However, Yes. In in the environments where I worked, it, there was a mixed response, right? There were some people who said, are, are you crazy? Like, what, Why are you, you're on this path and look where you're going? Because it was very much, as I mentioned, this, this very pretty path that on the outside, you know, yeah. you did this and then you did this and then you got a promotion after a year and a half and then another promotion after another year and a half and you were at this position at the age of 32, which was totally unheard of, right? And so- I ticked all these boxes that were like, you're doing well. And people thought it was insane that I would step off of that path. And But the people who knew me well and understood what, what really motivated me understood that that wasn't what was going to make me happy. And that's not what was going to make me feel fulfilled and, and successful. I didn't feel successful. That's the funny thing. And that that's really a really good insight, isn't it? I think I did a podcast episode about this a couple of weeks ago, and that is around having your own definition of success. And it doesn't look all, always the same as everyone else's or the same as, as the definition people expect you to have. Uh, yeah. And that I think takes a lot of work to be able to separate and distinguish what is my definition of success and, and, and fulfillment and accomplishment what is everybody else's? Because it's hard. It's hard when you feel, oh, I'm, I'm on a good path. I'm happy. And then someone makes a comment that's like, well, when are you going to go back to work? <laughs> right? Or when are you done with your sabbatical? And I was like, I'm not on a sabbatical. I'm, <laughs> I'm building a business, right? So you have to have, and I think it's something you have to continue to work with and continue to seek support around is, yes, this, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is right for me. This feels good. And if it doesn't, to listen to that voice too. So I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And making that stand for the and, you know, this isn't about sacrificing making money or sacrificing anything else. This is about embracing everything for full fulfillment and fully realizing everything you're capable of. And I guess that's where a lot of people stop short. They, they do stop short and they stop short at the position of the expected definition of success. Whereas quite often for most people, it's much bigger. It's much bigger if they let themselves follow it. Yeah. And I found myself in that space, you know, because I was ticking all these boxes of financial growth and title climbing and being in these fancy offices and going to these important meetings, right? And I found myself trying to push myself to be happy with all that, which I think a lot of us do, right? I think most of us can identify with that. It's like, no, 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 you should be happy. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why I wasn't, you know, push myself to be happy with that. And at a certain point, I was like, well, maybe this just isn't what fuels me and feeds me. At which point you say, okay, I have to 
a sort of abandoned ship on that mission and say, okay, well, what is it that would make me feel good? So what was that transition? What was this new passion that you decided to pursue? Tell us a bit about the work that you did when you, after you handed in your notice. So after I handed in my notice, and this is advice that, that I got from a lot of people and that I continue to give to people who, who make a similar move, is you need to take some time to create a little bit of a buffer uh, space between the the path you are on and the path you're getting on. Because if you just do this radical shift, you're going to carry over too many things from your past life, right? Um, at the insistence of many of my supporters, I took several months and, and just sort of digested, right? We were still in the pandemic. It was 2021. So I took time to do the things that I hadn't had time for before. I went on walks, I went to museums, I read so many books, and I spent a lot of time thinking and learning about this topic, this new topic I was going to dedicate myself to, which was uh, leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, change management, you know, why do we work the way we do? So I, I went on this really fun sort of intellectual path around, I, I need to understand why things are the way they are at work today, and what are some alternatives. So that's what I did. And then I started writing and taking those ideas and, and sharing them with, with people and getting feedback. And then I started doing some consulting work. So I started working directly with organizations who were committed to and interested in advancing their approach to diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, organizations that were committed to doing it differently, not just ticking boxes and, you know, writing a check to an organization, but they really wanted to do it. And that was super fun because I got to work with great people and experiment and try new things with them because that's what the space is about. It's constantly evolving, right? So I was doing that. I mean, at, at the basic level, it was, it was consulting and advisory work for companies working with leadership. Um, and so that's where I started. And did you see that when you started doing that and working with these kind of companies, not all companies were at that place, were they? Not all companies were being proactive around seeking the education and, and really addressing the how they needed to maybe look at things differently and do things differently. But do you now see the ball rolling on that and more companies seeking that? It's a great question. And it's hard to answer because on the surface, if you look at the at the stats, at least in the US, there was a huge infusion of investment and attention to diversity, equity, inclusion, particularly after the murder of George Floyd, right? So post-2020, all these companies rushed to do that. But a lot of those companies were public companies. A lot of them did similar moves, right? They hired a chief diversity officer, they hired a team, they became public about, you know, their diversity metrics. I think that on the one hand, there's definitely been a renewed attention to this. However, I think that it is still very limited compared to where it could and should be. And I think there's still a lot of belief that this is a large company thing. If you're a large public company and you have to you know, be held accountable to shareholders and, and, and a larger audience around what you're doing to take a stand. They're doing it. But I think a lot of smaller and medium companies feel like, well, we, we just don't have the resources to do something like that. And therefore, there's nothing we can do. And that is where I think we have a huge opportunity to change the mindset around that and change the way that we approach this work. 
and make it more accessible to a wider audience. So I'm hearing that, you know, these bigger companies are kind of doing it because they feel they have to do it. And I I know that's not the whole reason. I think there are a lot of leaders who want to embrace this, but they've certainly got an added incentive of uh, answering to their shareholders and ticking the right boxes. And you use the word attention. There's been a lot of attention on it. And we know, don't we, that just because there's a lot of attention on something, that doesn't always equate to cultural change within a company. It doesn't equate to actually embracing the change. You can have meetings ad infinitum but if you're not doing the right things to really embed change into a company it's kind of just lip service isn't it right a lot of box ticking is what the the primary complaint has been about DEI and sort of leadership programs over the past few years is that people are frustrated with a lack of of sort of results or real change that it feels very on the surface that it feels as you explained like we're doing this for PR or communications purposes. And so that is a chief complaint among a lot of people. Now, when we dig into that, I I shy away from saying that it's because they don't care. I don't of, of course there's always a portion of of leadership of organizations that really don't see it as important, but they do it because they feel they have to. Right? There's always going to be that percentage But I feel in the work that I do and the conversations I've had and the leaders that I have engaged with, that it's more an issue of not knowing what to do. It is more an issue of not being sure what works, not having any blueprints of this is what you do, having very few people and resources to guide them in that path, in that exploration. So that is where I saw and continue to see the the greatest opportunity for change and growth is in equipping and educating everybody with these tools. Because I think one of the myths is that it takes is these huge changes and just huge, massive, overwhelming shifts. And I don't have time for that. I mean, nobody has time for anything these days, right? And yes, we do have some big changes we need to make. But we also have lots and lots and lots of tiny little everyday shifts that we can do that actually make a massive difference in this work. I feel they're the bits that people don't know what to do. It's almost like the big, huge projects that you can undertake is almost like that's not the bit that needs companies' attention right now necessarily. It's the micro steps, the embedding just tiny actions done repeatedly and consistently that will change culture. Yes, yeah, small hinges swing big doors is my favorite. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I do love that. Small hinges swing big doors. And it's true, isn't it? It is really true that the small things we do, because it's easier to keep up smaller change. And that builds like a muscle, right? Because the confidence comes with small changes that stick. Right. I mean, if you read anything, you know, all these popular books. Yeah, like Atomic Habits and all of that. Yeah. Habit changes. Habits. uh, Yeah. Changing practices. It's it's lots of small, micro, repetitive. And it's not perfect. You have to stumble a bit. You have to keep trying to go, oh, I forgot to do that. Okay, let me do it again. And it's that. And it doesn't, so it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. No. So that makes me also think like, is another of the things holding leaders back 
this fear of getting it wrong? Uh, I would say that's the primary thing holding leaders back. I think it's the primary thing too. Yeah. And, and they're very correlated, right? Not knowing what to do. And when you're in that position, being terrified of doing it wrong or doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. Yeah. And can you blame anyone for having that fear? I mean, consider the context we're in. Everything's online. Everything's on social media. Everybody can criticize everything. Everybody can record anything, you know, legally or illegally. It happens. And there's backlash for a lot of things. And so the rise of things like cancel culture and the fact that leaders feel and and indeed are in the limelight more than ever before, it is terrifying to think, I can't mess this up because if I do, I could be sort of done for a very long time, right? Right. So it's almost safer to not do anything, isn't it? It's safer to take no action. Exactly. And that inaction out of fear is what I believe is the thing that we need to change because if we can address that, we unlock an incredible number of of people and teams who are doing the work. Yes. So tell me a bit more about that and tell me how that features in the work you do with your clients and with the exciting project that you're working on. Yes. So as I mentioned, I started off doing this this advisory and consulting work around specifically diversity, equity, and inclusion. So helping a company or organizations craft programming and think differently about what they're doing and how they're growing their business, taking things like equity and inclusion into account, right? So that's what I was doing, combining my background in, in sort of business strategy and and client-facing things to incorporate DEI and business growth, right? The, the things you need to do. But as I was doing that, I was spending more and more time with leaders, right? Spending a lot of time with leaders having these conversations. You know, they would get comfortable with me and they would trust me. And then they would tell me what they were concerned about. And they would say, hey, can I ask you a question? I, I don't know what this means. Like this, this gender pronoun thing, I feel kind of stupid, but I, I just don't, I don't get it. Interesting. Can you explain it to me? And so I kept having those kinds of conversations where I realized, oh, there's this other thing that's bigger than just DEI, but it's about providing leaders with support, with a safe space to ask questions and dig into things and, and a safe space to not know the answer. That's the thing. That's it, isn't it? A safe place to not know the answer and to not worry about ridicule for not knowing the answer or about ruining your reputation because you don't know the answer to something or, you know, because this is so important, I think, and particularly post 2020, where everything became so uncertain for business and for leaders in business. And they were really and are coping with lots of different problems that really they weren't dealing with before the pandemic. So that safe space, lots of conversations that they never had to have before. Why do we always assume that people will become skilled just like that at something new. And I think this is a mistake that happens all the time. There's not enough thought put into, okay, things have changed. And because there is a bit of a fear culture, particularly in, in some of the bigger companies, leaders don't ever want to admit that they 
perhaps need some help and support to cope with these new challenges of post-2020. I can totally understand. And what a wonderful natural birth for what you do now. Because, you know, it's like when anyone starts a business or a new project, the first question is like, is this actually something someone needs? Because often, you know, we we talk a lot about, you know, following our passions and which is great, fabulous. But if no one needs it, it's not a viable or sustainable business. For you, this is really answering a call of something that is absolutely needed right now. And I think where that ball is starting to roll a little more and it's and it's coming down, like you said, it is coming down to the smaller businesses too. No one is outside the loop of this, outside the circle of this, are they? Right. And I think about that a lot, right? Because I came from an industry that did have a handful of very, very large players. But the majority of the industry was small, local, regional, smaller firms, you know, that had a lot of money, but maybe were smaller. And a lot of industries are like that. You know, we talk a lot about these big companies that are in the news, but a lot of us work for smaller firms, smaller organizations. And that's where I think if we think about numbers and mass and habit changes and practices, that's where I think we can make a really big difference. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of alluded to it just now, but there's something you've been working on, which really, again, it's just absolutely in direct answer to what you know is needed out there. And that is you say it. No, you say it. Yes, it is the answer to that. And it's called P20. And everyone always says, well, what's P20? And I was like, well, it's post 2020. I mean, everything that I was doing, everything that I lived was really about like, oh, we, you know, we need to equip ourselves for a post 2020. So much changed in that period of time that we got to reset. We got to rethink. We have to be innovative. And so after I had this experience talking to leaders and, and fielding these questions, I said, you know what? I want to create a space for all the leaders, even those who aren't working with me and paying me, right, to be able to ask questions. And so I started this project uh, online called Uncomfortable Questions. Gooch, can we just hang on? No, we have to stop for a minute. Because listeners, isn't that just the most brilliant? I mean, you know, I, I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes, but if you're not already on Melina's uh, mailing list for uncomfortable questions, it's like it's a weekly newsletter where she takes these uncomfortable questions from leaders, from business owners, from anyone who's got a question that they, like you say, it's, it is uncomfortable things that you're either fearful of asking outside of a safe space, because you might be ridiculed, you might you might get it wrong, you know, that kind of that fear of saying the wrong thing. This is a space where Melina does actually take these uncomfortable questions. Just you do provide a safe space for this and you tackle the questions so sensitively and so comprehensively so that what one person wanted answered, I know, is reaching so many more people and answering the question they didn't have the courage to ask. So your newsletter, Uncomfortable Questions, is just amazing. And I will definitely be linking to that in the show notes because I really want everyone to sign up for that. I just love it. Yeah, it's been great. It's been really fun and really challenging too because I get hard questions. That's the point. I made it anonymous so people feel super comfortable asking really uncomfortable things. So I've gotten a range of amazing 
topics and questions from how do I hire inclusively? You know, I can't find diverse talent, as they call it, and I want to diversify, but I can't find it. What do I do? To how do I keep the political conflict that's happening around us and the divisions from entering the workplace? Because people post a tweet or they post on LinkedIn and then it causes conflict in the office. As a leader, how do I do that? What do I do? So an amazing range of questions that has just been great to dive into and to connect with other experts on topics where I may not have the best background, but someone else does. And so it's been great to collaborate with other leaders and experts who can bring in their insights and do that. So that project has evolved really beautifully for me. It's been it's been fun. It's been interesting. And from that came what we referenced before, which is P20 or post-2020, which was, I think, a natural evolution of, of those learnings, which was... I want to be able to put into the hands of everybody in the workplace, you know, whether you're just starting out in your career or you're a seasoned executive, everybody needs this kind of support and this kind of space to ask questions and learn, especially on the topics and the questions that have emerged since 2020 that we really don't have answers to so far. So I created this platform, a digital platform That seeks to do exactly that, is to to sort of equip and provide insights to leaders. And by the way, when I say leaders, I believe that everyone can and should be a leader, right? So leadership skills and qualities benefit everybody, not just people who manage a team, right? Yeah. So it's about equipping everybody with leadership skills that are adapted to the post-2020 workplace. What are these new concepts we're talking about? How do I respond to a a major news event? Because today, companies, whether you're small or large or organizations, whether you're tiny or huge or a nonprofit or private or public, are kind of expected to respond. It's very hard to stay neutral these days. And so as much as many are trying to stay neutral and, and, and sort of not go there for fear of doing the wrong thing or going to the wrong place, right? that's going to be harder and harder to do over time. And so the biggest contribution I think I can make to this world of of work and leadership and the world in general is trying to equip people and teams with the comfort and the accessibility and the knowledge and tools to adapt and to do things differently. I think also what P20 does, your platform, which has just fantastic content. I'm so grateful that I've had a little insider peek. So I know the quality of the content that is going into this. But what it also does is it brings everything together from one trusted source. Because at the end of the day, you know, leaders want to do the right thing. I don't doubt that, actually. I think leaders want to do the right thing. So at the moment, what are their options? Well, yeah, some of the bigger companies have appointed someone and made them responsible for this. You know, okay, but there are so many companies where they don't know where to go to for this information. And the problem is there is so much out there from so many different sources. 
you get information overload and it's really tricky, isn't it? It's really tricky to wade through that and get some kind of consistency in approach and in the answers. So what I love about P20 is that it becomes this one-stop shop for leaders to come to and put their trust into. You're incredibly open the way that you put yourself out there on video. You speak at a lot of events. You certainly, you know, you have your uncomfortable questions newsletter, which is, you know, people are, you're very accessible to people and people who know you know how much goes into creating this content and making sure it's a reliable source. So I think for me, anyway, that's the value of P20. It's having this one trusted source to come to and be able to get a balanced overview and really actionable actual advice around what to do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And there's an there's another aspect that I would add to that, which is something that's really important to me that I pay a lot of attention to as I've built this out, which is that it not be boring. <laughs> So right. I have to say, oh my God, you're so I, right. It, it can't so be Because right. it could I mean, be dry, couldn't it? It, it could, could be dry. Be, and it has been historically. I mean, anybody who's been through management training, leadership training, compliance training, a workshop, I mean, the second you say workshop or oh training. Oh God. Or even worse, one of those things you have to like just log into and, and it's a cartoon Click, thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to click or the... I mean, no. I mean, it is I outdated. Do, I, have, I had to do one of those about like data protection, I think, once. And it was so long and it made me want to literally, I think that was part of the reason I handed in my notice. I just didn't want to have to do any of those. <laughs> there, there's a new selling point. Compliance training that won't make people quit their jobs. <laughs> <gasps> that's, 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 that's a post right That's there. my pitch. <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely. It's, I joke about it, but it's a real thing, right? Because it's, so it I, is a real thing. It's a real thing. The industry I worked in was, I, I worked with salespeople. I worked with real estate brokers. I worked with people who were incredibly busy, who were incredibly focused on one thing, which was generating revenue, making income, selling things, making deals, very focused on that and didn't like to waste their time. So I started out when I was in the industry, I was doing research. I was tasked with providing insights to these folks. And that is what trained me to, I, I joke that I speak and I communicate in bullet points. You have to be to the point. You have to be engaging. You have to tell stories, but do it succinctly. And that training and that experience and working with that audience who we joke have a very, very short attention span which is part of what makes them successful to a certain degree, right? That is what I've kept in mind as I've built this because one of the other impacts of, of the pandemic is that we have all taken on more work. We're working more than ever before. We are super busy. Many of us are have been asked to, to do multiple roles. The inbox traffic is through the roof. We don't have time to be thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. That's one of the problems. And so what I try and do is be be super thoughtful and then condense the nuggets down into a super engaging, brief piece of information. You know what? You're right. I've just realized that ever since I started watching some of your video content, 
I have thought to myself, damn, she's good at this because you are very engaging and you, I don't know, you kind of like, you really do put across a point really engagingly. You know, there is, there is no way anyone can be bored with hearing the way you explain something. But I think I've just realized why part of the reason why that is. And it isn't just your sparkling personality, which of course is part <laughs> no. of it. But part of it is that you don't use a single extra word. I couldn't afford to. <laughs> I, could, I wasn't allowed to. There is no fluff or there's nothing extra that doesn't need to be there. I'm the queen at this. I'm honestly, if I can say something three times and say the exact same thing, I'll do it all the time. So I need to learn from you this from you. Because I as you were explaining that, I've just realized that's what it is. It's so succinct. It's so to the point. Which I think adds to how engaging it is. Oh, thank you. It's part of, you know, that's how I was trained and learned and adapted to communicate was through the industry I was in, through the work I was doing, capturing attention keeping attention and teaching that everybody would walk out of that room or that meeting with some new, I always call them nuggets, right? Nuggets. Yeah. And so that is what I've brought into the platform in terms of, okay, how do we redefine learning and training in the workplace? Because it can't be these boring 45 minute click next things. That's really what's what helped inspire the platform, right? Which I describe as a sort of Netflix of leadership learning, right? Great description. Yeah. And so it's not a do this, then you can do that. And then you do this. No, it's, it's a library of resources that are super curated and super to the point. And I've also given myself the challenge of keeping the videos basically under six minutes. So that, what that does is two things. When it, it keeps the content small, but it also keeps the subjects of each video or unit very specific. And so it helps people know exactly what they're getting with each video, find exactly what they need. Because rather than saying, I'm going to do a video about gender in the workplace. No, it's got to be super specific about gender pronouns in the workplace, right? And so when someone has a specific question they may not have time to sit through a 45-minute or two-hour workshop on every aspect of gender in the workplace. So if we give them something small and specific that addresses that question, in less than 10 minutes, they're walking away with things that they can actually use. And that's the goal. That's the power of it. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's searchable, like you say. So, you know, because where I'm seeing this come in is that Uncomfortable questions in the workplace arise in real time, mm. right? And mm. we need to be able to have a resource that we can go to to be able to come back to someone fairly quickly with a considered answer. And sometimes leaders get frozen by not knowing or fear, fear again of getting it wrong. And that's what I love about this kind of Netflix approach to it where people can search for very specific topics get specific answers to their questions and to the the things that are are kind of getting them stuck yeah and it's interesting because it's reactive too right as we talked about i'm constantly taking in questions from people on and off the platform so i know what's sort of top of mind for folks and and then also the world is constantly evolving right so things happen events happen that leaders have to respond to, as I mentioned before, right? So let's take the example of 
uh, on June 29th, that week happened to be my birthday, (laughs) Uh, the Supreme Court came out with three rulings that caused a lot of concern for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and drove some pretty big changes, right? to the status quo, and had big implications for uh, equity and inclusion in several different environments. And so leaders sort of had to respond to that in a lot of situations. And I mean, there are, there's legalese in that, right? So there are technical legal things that they're like, I don't, I don't know what this really means for me and for us. And then there was a sort of social and emotional component of people feeling very strongly, you know, one way or the other about what this represented. And so the way that I've set up the content here is, for example, I this week I've decided that I'm going to make this week's content, this week's uncomfortable question about this because it's timely, it's important, and leaders need support around it. So it's really fun to sit and plan out, okay, these are all the topics we're going to cover this month or or this quarter, but to also be able to to say, okay, well, actually, I'm going to add this in this week because this is really important. So this is really an ever-growing resource hub, isn't it? And it's really going back to that point about having this trusted place to come to where you can trust that the information is it's up to date. It's, you know, it's being reviewed constantly by an expert in the subject. Mm-hmm. And it has so much value for people. It's, it's like a peace of mind for people to have that. Yeah. I think it's, it's access to learning data. I'm a big data person. I mentioned I came from the research world. So I do a lot of research into every topic. So as a little, you know, insight into the process, when I pick a topic, I, I mentioned gender pronouns before. I get a lot of questions from leaders about, you know, what's this whole gender pronoun thing? Can you just explain it to me? What I do is I spend a lot of time researching and understanding from different experts, from a lot of academic things, from a lot of research, reading all different perspectives too uh, on the topic so that I can condense it down, give you everything you need to know about that topic and provide you additional resources. If you have more than four minutes and you want to dive deeper, you have more questions, here are several resources that I think do a great job of talking about it. The other thing that's important here is recognizing that almost every single one of the topics that we cover on P20 is nuanced. It has gray areas. There isn't always a right answer or a right response, which is something I'm very open about. And so what I like to do is also equip leaders with what the different perspectives see and believe so that they can also make their own decisions, informed decisions about how they'd like to approach that topic. Informed decisions. Informed decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really important. So, and I like that. So as well as these videos, like you say, the additional resources, that you're providing links to things and suggested extra research around these topics. But even that, it's a curated list by you, the expert in the subject. So again, when it comes to coming to this one trusted platform to get the information, I think that's the key to this. And that's what is such a service to leaders. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about curated content, it's really important to me that that content be diverse in terms of the format, right? So I always, always, always make sure that when I provide resources to people on a topic, it includes written articles, short and long. 
It includes audio components. Some people really are audio learners and, and they just, maybe they listen to podcasts every morning on their way to work. And so that's how they prefer to consume information. That's how it sticks best. And then some people are very visual. And in that case, I, I always provide videos as well. And I always also, this is something I've done since the beginning is when I provide a resource, I tell you about how long it'll take to get through. I think, you know, time management, time stress is such a big thing. And, you know, when someone can see sometimes that, okay, this is a three minute, th this link is a three minute investment, <laughs> it's, it's easier for them to click on it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to click on something and then find out I need to set aside the next two hours to digest it all, you know, like, yeah, unless right. I have that time set aside and that's what I want to find something to fill. It's just knowing, isn't it? So I just, I love everything about the platform that you've pulled together. So what's the next step with it? Where are you in the journey with it? So I'm super excited. The platform is built and I'm adding content to it weekly. And so right now it is in what I, I lovingly refer to as beta mode. So I'm working with, with a client company that is rolling it out across their 300 person organization. And what we're going to do is really encourage people to use it, teach them about it, and then collect their feedback on it. So it's really important to me that, that I understand, you know, what they like about it, what they want more of, what they want less of, what works. And so really making sure it, it's effective in the wild, right? <laughs> in the wild of the workplace. Before it's set free. <laughs> yes. And so we'll be doing that. And then opening it up, I, I will be sort of on an, on an invite only basis and in inviting folks to have access to the platform and provide feedback. And of course, if there's anyone listening to this who's interested in participating in that, who's particularly passionate about this or wanting to learn or potentially considering it for, for their team or organization, uh, you are more than welcome to reach out to me. And, and I am actively looking for beta testers now. So, so happy to, to include folks in that process um, and to shape, you know, the evolution of this platform. But the goal on a timeline thing is that in Q4 of this year, so before the end of the year, I will be opening it to the masses. And the way that it works is that individuals can can subscribe to this. So it's a membership. So individuals can become members of this if they are interested in beefing up their, their leadership skills and their learning and their awareness of these different topics. So let's say you're an individual you're eager to boost your management skills or your leadership skills or just learn about these things, but your organization doesn't subscribe to it, well, you will have access. You'll be able to subscribe to a membership. Uh, and then I'm also providing organizational level memberships, right? So if a leader or an organization wants this to be a learning and development platform for their for all of their organization, they want it to uh, be part of their leadership training in any way, shape or form, then they will be able to, to work with me to have a what I would call an enterprise-wide agreement, right? It's essentially allow all of their users, all of their employees access to this. Yeah, and I can see that being incredibly popular because it is going to be so easy for companies to roll this out. And also, it isn't going to make people quit their jobs. <laughs> they have well, to do it. <laughs> You know, it's interesting about quitting jobs. I spent a lot of time studying the great resignation, which I was very much a part of, right? And why were people leaving jobs? And it's interesting that the number one reason people were leaving their jobs was what they described as toxic workplaces or workplaces where they didn't feel 
welcomed and they didn't feel they were learning anything. And when you look at Gen Z and millennials, right, the younger workforce that's going to very, very soon make up the bulk of the workforce, what they look for in an organization, you know, people think it's pay and this and that. But actually, when we look at office workers, uh, the number one thing they're looking for is, is this a role and is this an organization where I'm going to be learning and growing? And a lot of times we assume that means, oh, they're getting promotions every year and a half or they're getting pay raises. But actually, what the research says is what people really want is to feel they're growing, to feel that they're getting new skills, that they're getting you know new insights, that they're getting new opportunities. And so this is also an answer to that for leaders who are having issues with retention, for leaders who are looking to, to attract more talent and more diverse talent. To be able to say, we provide access to this curated platform that provides you leadership and learning support and that allows you to dive in and grow as a leader, that's a huge step towards changing the the lack of support so, so many employees feel in the workplace. And that is a huge incentive for companies to sign up for this, isn't it? Because one of the biggest complaints now is turnover and retention of good people. It's really expensive. It's super expensive. I mean, companies lose and waste billions of dollars a year on retention issues, right? Because when someone leaves a post, then you're leaving a team scrambling. You need to spend money hiring someone. You're losing out on business because you're under-resourced. All the other team members are getting stressed out because they're having to cover the work of a, of a missing role. And then the cost of recruitment and then the time and cost of retraining someone, someone new. Absolutely. Do you know, thinking about that, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know what, all of this, these uncomfortable conversations and whether it's DEI, whether it's the other topics that are covered by P20, because it isn't just about DEI, right? Um, if you're listening to this and thinking, I know the company that I work for needs this, or I know that my company needs this, I think one of the most compelling arguments you can put to a company to persuade them is to tell them about the impact on revenue. Because most companies, that is where they will sit up and start listening. So that retention argument of saying, look, companies lose staff because people find the workplace toxic to work in. This addresses that. It will have a direct impact. And I think, you know, whatever you can use to get companies on board to start taking those, like we said at the beginning of this episode, the micro actions, it doesn't have to be big, massive stuff. Right. And in addition to retention, you know, from a recruitment angle, which a lot of leaders have been coming to me in the past year or two saying, you know, really hard time getting young talent, especially companies that are fully in person or majority in person. They're, they're having trouble, you know, competing with hybrid or remote offerings from other companies. And, um, you know, younger workers, when they walk into an interview are asking, what is your DEI program? Or what is your lead? What kind of leadership training do you provide? What kind of support do you provide employees for, uh, learning and development. They're asking these questions and they're making employment decisions. And in the US, at least, and you know, I think this is happening in, in, in many markets, but I can speak specifically to the US, the population is rapidly diversifying. 
Gen Z is entering the workforce and they're going to continue to enter the workforce. So we have to face the reality that our employee base is going to look and behave and speak and demand differently. And we, we're already seeing it. They say every generation is sort of marked by some world event, right? Or some some contextual factors. So a lot of millennials were, our careers were shaped by the fact that we kind of entered the workforce during the recession, 08, 09. This generation is marked by a, when I say this generation, I mean Gen Z, is marked by greater awareness of and concerns for the environment, social and moral values, they expect companies to take a stand on things, DEI, and the fact that they were learning and starting to work during the pandemic. So very, very different ideas, uh, concepts of work-life balance, of what role an employer plays in our lives, right? And so, so like love it or hate it, that's who's going to be your employee base. That's the P20 workplace. It's different. <laughs> it's different. It's different and we need to do different. We need to be different. Yeah. We need to do things differently. And, and as I've said from the beginning, I think we need to change the way we work. Absolutely. And I'm always and continue to be blown away about how committed you are to make that happen. So thank you so much for coming and sharing about that today because some of the podcast episodes that I put out on Heads Together are kind of quite flippant and you know me but for me this one is this is really getting our heads together about something that really matters it really matters to me and I'm so grateful to have you as a trusted resource for me on this topic yeah so I'm going to be putting in the show notes all of the links to where people can find you I'm going to put the link for like I said I really want you listeners to sign up to the uncomfortable questions newsletter it's a real good one it's one of the ones that you will look forward to dropping into your inbox not one of the ones that you will delete without reading it or opening it's it. fun it's and fun. if you are deleting and op- uh, deleting emails without opening them just unsubscribe <laughs> and I would also add that, you know, if you are someone who is particularly passionate about some aspect of leadership, you know, it could be neurodiversity, it could be accessibility, it could be uh, management styles, it could be, you know, personality styles in the workplace. If you have an interest in any of that, if you're passionate about any of that, and you would like to be featured on the platform, if you would like to speak on a topic to to educate, if you see a gap in knowledge in the workplace, uh, I welcome you to reach out to me. And I, I love, love, love collaborating. And, and as I mentioned, I feature uh, guest experts and speakers on the platform regularly. So please reach out and it could be a great opportunity for you to share share your insights. How should people reach out to you if that's what they would like to do? Email is the best. It's melina at melinacordero.com. Super easy. Uh, you can also always find me on LinkedIn. So uh, that's a super easy place to to reach out to me as well. Perfect. And again, I'll pop all of that in the show notes. Melina, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Just really good, deep conversation as always with you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jill. And thanks everyone for listening. Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that getting our heads together this week has filled your mind with what's possible. 
If you love the show, would you do me a massive favour, please? Would you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? It would really help me put more heads together, reach more ears and expand more minds. Until next week, bye for now. Bye for now.